The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Show and which we are completing the trilogy of Scream with Scream 3 in our Scream ret- retrospective. And with me are the characters we haven't killed off yet Jessica Allsman. Hello. And Greg Magoon. Hello. Third time's a charm here uh, with this Scream 3, which was billed as like the final chapter. There was going to be no more. Scream was done. No more. The final act. They saved the last, best Scream for last. <laughs> or or what the what the poster say for this one? The most terrifying scream is always the last. So yeah, here we go. Hello. 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 If you thought you'd seen it all, whatever you think you know about the past, forget it. You were wrong. Run! Dead wrong. Run! It made you laugh. It made you scream. Don't panic. It's your last chance what? to see the terrifying ending of the most famous horror trilogy ever told. What's your favorite scary movie? Three, three. This one is directed by Wes Craven, uh, written by the ultimate franchise villain Aaron Kruger, based on characters by Kevin Williamson, though some other people helped write this, um, <laughs> from what I know, uh, starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Liev Schreiber, Patrick Dempsey, Parker Posey, Scott Foley, Dion Richmond, who's on the poster, but uh, Jenny McCarthy, Matt Kiesler, Emily Mortimer, Patrick Warburton, Lance Henriksen, Kelly Rutherford, Josh Pice, Jason Muse, Kevin Smith, Heather Metazaro, uh, or is it, yeah, Metarazzo, Jamie Kennedy, Carrie Fisher, Roger Corman, and Roger Jackson. As the voice, while Sydney and her friends visit the Hollywood set of Stab 3, the third film based on the Woodsboro murders, another ghost-faced killer rises to terrorize them. And yeah, this concluding chapter. Um, uh, I'd want to point out before before we start, this one does not take place in Woodsboro, right? Oh. The last one did not take place in Woodsboro, right? Nope. Yeah. So Scream nope. 6 is not monumental for leaving Woodsboro, right? Nope. I'd like them to throw that out of their marketing thing like they invented it, but it's all good. They're going to the Wait, Big Apple. Is that how they're marketing it? Like They're leaving Woodsboro. That was what, like, I think early buzz was like, it's not going to be a Woodsboro. It's like, well, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means they're, had, they're, they've left before. <laughs> yeah, but that means there's three in Woodsboro and three not in Woodsboro. So right. it's 50 50 right now. 50-50. So, um, so yeah, uh, this movie has some behind-the-scenes. It's kind of a, a bit like the last one had its problems. This one's a bit of a mess. Um, there's weird stuff going on here. Like, Kate Hudson was cast in this movie and then, like, dropped or replaced. And it's no... It, she either was playing... 
I don't know who she was playing, but there was a movie. It's called um, Desert Blue, and when it and it, it came out, it was like an indie film. It came out of VHS. Kate Hudson was credited as Kate Hudson parentheses Scream Three. Oh wow! But yeah, so what? she was yeah. Cassie, my my Cassie. Kate Hudson was almost in this movie. I'm she was like, almost in this movie. There's some I other people her. too. There's so when I was going through prepping for this, there's a lot of were considered people that I'm just like not gonna ramble them off. Like it's like anybody and everybody. Like the Kelly Rutherford role was like a bajil. Like it was Liv Tyler, and then there was Carrie Russell, and they're like. Yeah, if the name came up at a meeting, it might not. Like when they talk and there's a possibility, then it is not just studio notes of because there's like there's a great documentary for the original Blade Runner called Darkest Days. And there's a shot in it where they're showing like their casting ideas when they're writing the script for it. And there's like 18 names of people to play Deckard. And like their top one was like Dustin Hoffman. But like there's no way they went through 17 of those and then finally well i guess we'll call harrison ford like it wasn't like that like sometimes you know you have your you know tarantino talks all the time about like oh i had this person mind this person he might not even talk to that person so who knows so yeah there was that there's the there's the killer situation in this that's really weird there's the columbine effect on this movie that happens i guess we'll get into it as we talk a bit before the movie, leading up, this was a one of the earliest movies I can remember that had some online interaction. Did you, did either of you remember that? No. No. Oh. I went to the theater to see it, but I don't remember the but the online stuff. So there was a Sunrise Studios website that popped up. Oh. Uh, online, and you could go to it, and you could read about these old B movies and stuff and different notes and things about it and different things would be added every week to it. I remember I was, I did this because I was in my, my seat, it was my senior year of high school and I took a networking class, which was like, I don't know. I, it went above my head with stuff. And the coolest thing I learned to do was open somebody's tray in their desktop from my computer that was across the room because I could, Wow. Do stuff, but I would go on this website because I was allowed to be online and on a computer during the day. Um, this was back when we all didn't have laptops and all that stuff. You had to go to a class for a computer. But yeah, it was the Sunrise Studio. You learned about Milton. Um, John Milton was named on there. I believe um, Rena Reynolds was named on there. The movies she was oh. in were like in the stock. Like there was a lot of stuff on there. It all meant fucking nothing, but it was really it was kind of neat. Because um, this is a year after the Blair Witch, or the year following Blair Witch Project, and that one really kind of kicked into some online stuff as well. Um, but okay, so I was the only one, and I it it hit my memory like when I was I forget what it was like. I think it might have been passing through notes, and I was like, oh yeah, there was the whole uh, website. Um, so did everybody see this one in the theater? Yep, theatrical. And yes. I remember. All right. Vividly, the day that I saw it in theaters, we'll always remember that moment. Was it? What, did you guys see Scream Two in theaters? I can't remember. What was it? I don't think I did. Okay. I don't think I did. I I, I I don't think I did. I don't um, because I was still young. I was a freshman in high school when this That's one right. came out, and by the time this movie came out, 
I was such a, like a Scream fan. Like, I don't know. Do the mm. fans of Scream have like nicknames? Are they, are we like Screamers or something? Like, I don't know. Probably. But like, like whatever. <laughs> so like, I was a full Screamer by that point. Um, That like, I was a freshman in high school. So I was still pretty young. It was rated R. I, I couldn't get tickets to go see this on my own. But I, I had, I'm not even joking. I took uh, like a uh, printer paper um, and I wrote like the numbers one through 10 on like different pieces of paper and I taped them around like the house and each day I was like ripped off the 10 nine days left till scream three eight days left and I like literally had a physical countdown around the house at my dad's house at this point because my parents were divorced already and I had the countdown going on so when the day came I got dropped off at school and my dad went to the theater to buy tickets to opening night for me and my friends to go. And um, he wasn't going to go see it because he was like, he's seen the first two. This can't be anywhere. Yeah. So whatever. So then at the end, like that evening, we got to the theater. My dad dropped me off at the dang theater with my friends. And um, I was like, I was hell bent on seeing this freaking movie. And I got in. We got into the theater and they were checking theater at the main entrance of the theater. But then they also had a person checking tickets at the at the actual auditorium door. Oh. And they're like, do you have your parent here? And I was like, oh, no. And they're like, well, we can't let you in without an adult. And I'm like, what do you mean? We have our tickets. It's like my dad bought them and he left. And they were like arguing it. So they were like, well, you can't come in. So then when I so I turned to my friends and I was there like, well, we can't go. We need to call somebody. I was like. I'm seeing this movie. I don't care with or without you. I was so awful because I was like determined to see this movie. I saw the attendant like looking away at something and I literally ran into the theater, leaving my friends behind. Oh. I just booked it in the theater. It was sold out, by the way. It was before like pre like predetermined right. seats were there. I looked around the theater. I saw somebody else I knew who had a parent there and I like sat down and I was like, Hi. So I got in, but my dad's not actually here because he dropped me off and they weren't going to let me in. I told him the whole story and I said, but I kind of like left my other friends out there and they don't know how to get in. Do you mind going out there and bringing in my friends? So like this random other person that I kind of knew had a parent that went outside to bring my friends in like six minutes later so that we could all see the movie. But they were very bitter. They were very, very bitter that I just like said, screw it. I'm going to see this movie. So I, I, yeah, yeah, I have to. I like, I, I you, have they to saw it. the movie. Yeah. They did yeah. see the movie. So me running into the theater, like sneaking in with a ticket, still got them into the theater. But I, I was just like, cover me. They were too like shy to do that. I was like, run. I was like, well, if you're not going to take the chance, I will. Like, does not matter. So like that, my, my like passion and drive to see this movie was not going to stop me. Like I, I went full, like I love Lucy. Like I'm going to find a way, like give me a hat and a coat. Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to get into this dang show. Um, so yeah, I will vividly remember the day I ditched my friends to see this, but I did get them in. We all saw it. We're all, well, we're not friends now, but, um, <laughs> but we were friends the rest to the school year and all the things. So it was good. But yeah, this movie was a very formative part of my like scream fandom i suppose well yeah like i it's funny you said that i was 18 at the time so i i got to not only drive myself i could buy my (laughs) own ticket but um the first two i wasn't like that my uh, funny story with the people not letting you in because you were too young or whatever it depends on who worked at places right because i had my one of my favorite things ever happened to me was well not favorite but I was at age where I was like 16 and friends were 17. We all kind of weren't the same age. So some could do something, some couldn't. 
And we went, we were going on Friday night to go see the new movie, the new horror movie, Phantoms, starring Ben Affleck, Rose McGowan, Joanna Goy, and um, Liev Schreiber. <laughs> and uh, the woman turned us away. Like, she's like, nope, can I see IDs? And, um, and he's like, and I was like, yep. She's like, I can't sell you a ticket, son. Uh, I was like, I was this old woman. I was like, I'm. No, it's okay. And then my the seventeen year old's like, well, then I'll buy one extra ticket, please. Like, I know you're buying it from him, so no, I'm not going to sell to you either. <laughs> and turned yeah. us away from Phantoms, which I guess she did us a favor because the movie's not very good. But then it was funny because when uh, Jenny decided to bomb strike back, it became the joke: Affleck, you to bomb and Phantoms, yo. And I'm like, yeah, I wasn't allowed to see that movie because of the woman at the theater turned us away. But uh, Jessica, do you have any ex- as exciting a story as Greg? No, as a, no? I went with my mommy because uh, I was too young. I'd been like tw- 13, I think. Mm-hmm. And she was a big Scream fan, too, so she wanted to see it. Um, but nothing really fancy about going to watch it, except for it's just so much better to watch it <sighs> with an audience opening weekend. I think a lot of scary movies are like that or like, your, mm-hmm. you know, your Marvel movies because you're all in on the jokes together and every little Easter egg that pops up, everyone reacting. And I was such a I mean, back in the day, I'd probably call myself a film nerd considering how many movies I would watch and yeah. how I would try to research stuff. So then the whole movie takes place like in Hollywood behind the scenes. And I'm just like absorbing all of this. Like, this yeah. is so amazing. And um even rewatching it, there's stuff I just didn't even notice. But the whole movie itself is like meta because they're basically like, you know, commenting on themselves and how they make the movies. And oh, they made three scripts because, you know, uh, last one got leaked online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't understand that stuff until, you know, the last podcast. <laughs> so, I was like, oh, crap. But now watching it again, I'm like, this is so great. I love when shows are basically like pulling the curtain back for the fans. Yeah. And it's, I like, so basically I like Scream 3 better than Scream 2. I think oh. because of that. I think yes, I do too. Oh, no I think way. I do too now. I know. I This is the one I've seen the most out of all of them, actually. Oh, I for I me, know. this is the worst of them for me. Like, I, oh, just I think because it's a it's like bad movie. <laughs> it's like we're in on it and they're like writing it just for us. Yeah. Before yeah. they wrote the last movie. Basically. Gotcha. Um, but before I would have said Scream Two, but rewatching, it, I was like, man, I really like Scream Three. It's kind of same. Fun. It's so fun. It's it so fun. fun. I love the Dewey and Gale like detective team. The whole time they're together, uh. I'm like, oh. And then of course Dewey's kind of getting dumber. Yes. Which I don't yeah. necessarily like, but his lines are so funny that it's like, okay, it's to be funny. It's like, right now. No, I. I'll get to my problems with it. So, uh, there, it it's a very, no. Like the thing is, like I think it's a bad movie, but it's a very watchable movie uh, in my mind. Like I, I, I have seen this plenty of times. Like it's not like I'm like, oh, I'll watch Scream One, Scream Two, skip Scream Three. No, like I, I have no issue watching it because um, it does have some, so it has some pretty good pluses to it. Um, but like one of the one of the problems with this movie is like. Kevin Williamson, whereas the, the the tagline is, uh, he was too busy to do to do this movie, which is not true. They wouldn't do his idea. Um, was supposed to be moving away from things uh, and focusing on like the the impact the stab movies have had on high school youth. But Columbine happened, and that's not a cool idea at this time. And he kind of they parted parted ways, and then they. Um, 
Bray. Plus, I think he at the time, like his story has changed somewhat on what it was gonna be, because at the time, I believe he was saying he didn't want, wasn't gonna bring back Dale, uh, Gail, Dewey, or Sydney. He wanted to do a fresh uh, thing with that. Um, but um, they bring in Aaron Kruger. Um, who's currently Academy Award nominated for Top Gun Maverick, but um, he who would write Reindeer Games. If you've seen that Ben Affleck classic, <laughs> um, but they they actually apparently he was fired be- at one point because the script was so bad, and they had uh, Leta Caligridis polish the script up with Wes Craven because Wes Craven was like, "These are not our characters." What and that like they said that on paper, um. But, uh, yeah, so that's one thing they had. And Nev Campbell was actually too busy, and I don't, I don't think she wanted to do this one. Um, that makes sense then, because I was like, we need more Sid. She was only there Sid. for 20 days um, wow. to shoot. And uh, in the same clothing as she was in Scream 2. Uh, in, <laughs> in some of it, too. What? Yeah, the, uh, the when she dresses with for the when she meets them up, she's in the same outfit as she is in Scream Two at the end. Like, really, oh. it's the finale, finale oh outfit for her. Um, but yeah, and I just Aaron Kruger is a guy through his career. I have just ugh, not been a fan of a lot of his his work starting here. Um, but um, yeah, and this also has the Courtney Cox bangs that uh, are, ugh, that was horrifying when I was young. I know that I still. I, I I wish they could do a digital re-edit and just keep <laughs> Hey, after Scream 2's haircut, life had to balance itself out. Like, we couldn't just... She had to be toned. She had to get she, humbled. It's just... I don't know. It's Another thing um, young Jessica didn't appreciate was Patrick Dempsey back in the day and his amazing oh, hair. Just rewatching uh, this, I was like... He's mm. not good in this either, but I guess in his defense, he was hired the day before they started shooting. Really? But still, like how they wrote his character, I still don't. How is every killer always able to take down everybody, even like the stronger dudes or a Patrick Warburton? Well, like, I, I, I've always like what like when I've always felt like vomiting when Sydney's like, "What's your favorite scary movie, officer?" He's like, "My life." I'm like, "Oh God, fuck out of here, go." Just- <laughs> oh, I mean, I think it's kind of funny. Ah. I don't know. I love that about this movie. I think the script is actually very quotable and it's campy and it's fun. It's a different tone than all the other screams without a doubt. Um, but well, I it love takes the, the tone of Dewey and Gale rather yeah. than Sydney, is what which it is. I love. Like I just like the introduction uh, well, the minute they went into um, we'll get to the opening scene, but the introduction when Parker Posey and Gale meet like Gale versus Gale, mm-hmm. I'm like, all in i am locked in i said this is what i want for the whole movie and that is what i got for the whole movie and i was thrilled about it so like their dynamic to me is what this movie is and what i wanted out of the movie so we're gonna dissect everything wrong with the movie i'm not saying it's actually a good movie i'm saying i love it and have a great time with Uh. it but no, the movie is a complete story mess. Yeah. Um, well, and and- I say to to the credit, Parker Posey single handedly is a reason to watch this movie because she's amazing in it. Like she's the best <laughs> thing about it in my mind. Like she is incredible. Courtney Cox is still good as Gail. Like Courtney Cox is still makes it as Gail. Like that is needed, and their dynamic together was really fun. Like just their quippy banter of that whole beginning of like, oh, I'm in your um 
in your mind and she's like well that explains my constant headaches and the whole like um like being single is a pretty good fallback too to like parker and just like that little like snarky banter between the two of them is just great like i believe it i think it's fun mm-hmm. um so i like seeing that like i like seeing gail's edge come back but still it's it gets non-threatening edge it gets little details done well while the overall plot line and script is a shambles but Yes. Yeah, I'll defend it to life, but well, well, you can say everything you hate about it, and then I'll come <laughs> as devil's advocate going. But I like it because, um, because um, I the, yeah. But the I mean, Posey thing, like you were talking about, how she kind of everything it's campy when she gets scared yeah. that she's gonna get killed. She's like, oh, like what was me, and then just jumps into her bodyguard's arms, like, oh, hold yes. me. And I think that's so funny. Well, that's, so well, that's that's how good she is. Like that's a we left the camera roll. She did that. We're keeping it in the movie. Like for some reason, it works. It was fun. Uh, but like, but that's the thing is that like I feel like everybody in the cast ideally is like it feels like at least they're having a good time like i don't know why i think that because i feel like there were issues making the movie well i know behind the scenes there were like at least getting it made but i feel like when they were actually filming it like i feel like everybody was like you know what guys let's just have fun and i feel like that's the energy i'm getting that's a west craven set though like most of his movies people are having fun uh, because he's a but since this movie has more humor than any of the other screams, mm-hmm. I think they really just said, you know what? This is the movie we have to make because the other ideas didn't work out. So let's just have a party with it and go over the top. But that is a testament to like the actual acting ability in these movies because Parker Posey, as over the top as she is, I still believe her as a person. In oh, it. yeah, like, yeah, no, because Parker, Parker Posey's a fantastic actor. Like, she's yes. she's good at comedy and drama. Like, she excels at comedy and drama. We've never... This is the best a blockbuster has presented us with Parker Posey. Like, she's never yes. truly lifted off um, and been wasted in other ones. And this is the only one that really got her and let her go to work and gave her something real to to chew on like this is this is it like her and indie stuff or the or the little uh uh christopher guest comedies like magnificent but then yeah. like blockbusters like superman returns she's just the grumbly bitchy woman next to lex luther nothing nothing to do there like she's granted that's a terrible movie itself but but like even jenny mccarthy is actually not bad in this movie like i think she's good oh I think you don't she's like terrible. her in it she's terrible I but, think she's uh, but, who she should be for that actress who it yes, really is. She but is good in the role part. that yeah. she's given. She's I believe her. her in real life. Like, yes. She's like, yeah. why am I doing this? Oh, my God. Yes. At the time, she was a weird casting choice because we only, like, really at that time, she was just Jenny McCarthy. Yeah. Jenny McCarthy, like well, she posed for Playboy and stuff. I think Playboy. She was on. Sing, she was on Singled Out yeah. on MTV. She was just like a personality that was just Jenny McCarthy. Yeah. But so, that was her role in the movie. It was just like, yeah. oh, I'm playing candy. Like, yeah. I know that girl in real life. Like, when I lived in New York and, like, or even being in L.A., I know those, like, beautiful women who are just like, why am I getting these dumb roles? Like, she's criticizing well, what, I'm, like, the, the dialogue's get. The dialogue's fine. Her performance isn't. That's like, I just don't think she's, but, I'm just like, well, it's flat. It's 
Not good. I, I don't know. I, I believe it just because I've I've had those real conversations with friends who are actors mm. before. And I'm like, that tracks like this fits. So I don't mm. think she I mean, I don't think that she's giving more of a performance as much as she's kind of giving herself. But it is believable um, in it. But like herself isn't far off from that character. If and that makes actually and really like, good script writing there because it's true. Like the character, wait, her boyfriend just died. Why is she even showering? She should be like really depressed. Exactly. Like, good script. Like, like and, and they make her character actually smart. So it kind of subverts that expectation of like, like why those attractive blonde like women always die or stupid in movies. Mm-hmm. Now this movie is actually calling out that behavior in movies being like, why is this happening? And I think she pulls it off. And I, I don't know. I will defend it. Um, like I said, I will defend this movie the more I've watched it. I actually had it on earlier today, even again, because I'm just like, of all the screams, this is the easiest one to put on and watch. Gotcha. Not for me. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> let's... Like she even like kind of dies like Tatum, though. Well, not yes. really dies like it, but she lays over the, the door yeah. frame. And it's like, oh, a little... With- what terrible acting once she... <laughs> I, I didn't she... believe she died <laughs> yeah i oof. i no i won't go there for mccarthy there's other people in here i do like but no yeah. um the so let's start the opening scene so like yep. scream one when a stranger calls scream two yes. he knows you're alone scream three is what like i i guess we have one of the ogs with cotton weary getting killed off he's the only original Screamcast member yeah. to be killed in an opening scene, um, but I, and that's kind of neat that I like that. But I'm like the, the the novelty of the first two movies was this was like two other slasher movies before it, kind of giving us hit, and this is just kind of something else. Um, well, is but- there a movie where they think. Your spouse did it, and they didn't do it. I, I can't. I thought it was a clever opening, though. Like, I thought it was clever, but it also, here's the thing, though, with the opening of this one, it ended up redefining the voice, because this is when they introduced the voice changer thing, mm-hmm. which so shifts the rest of the movie, because Scream 4, don't they do a little bit in Scream 4 with voice changing? They um, have, they have a, yeah. there's a, vo- there's a, a an app that you can, yeah. you can but that, do. But, like, but the notion of voice changing is used in future movies so this kind of sets a new precedent of like what the killer is going to do now it's not just the scream voice it's now like i like how i like how cotton was misled as the potential killer or at least well i mean you knew he wasn't but i like how his voice was used to um scare his girlfriend and put her against him when he did show up i thought that was kind of clever and it did i guess set like the tone for the rest of the movie so that means like anybody could have been the killer at that point um because the voice is constantly changed whether or not that's believable technology is debatable um especially when it gets into sydney's mom which is debatable like how can a voice well, changer read dead woman's voice but um i, I now, like well but... well oh, greg yeah. she was in movies right i'm trying to help you defend this okay could, well could, great the, i love yeah, it there you go um, um but no this is scream three i guess walks so sequels could run because it introduces some far out concepts that uh, now that there's five of them it's like okay whatever but like the voice changer and then the dream sequence with the mother okay that scared the crap out of me i remember as a kid it scared so me so weird and even watching it again i was like 
that's so cur- I don't like it. And then it's even weird. I, the audience, I don't know if Sydney was hallucinating or not. So I still don't know when she was or wasn't and when is a dream. I'm sure yeah. it's obvious, but I was like, ooh. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's weird. Um, but it because because of because of that dream sequence, when we have uh Sam in Scream Five having things it's fine because that happened here and it's established that that's that's a thing that can happen in this world like i remember it was a big deal in star wars revenge of the sith when anakin had a vision and it showed it and they'd never shown anything like flashbacks or visions or anything like that before and people made a big fucking stink about it's doing this this isn't a narrative thing they do well, once you introduce it, now it does. And someone has to walk so you can run. That's the, fa- the yeah. fancy thing. But that's what this opening sequence does. Start the voice changer, which I thought when I first saw it, and I'll admit, like, I thought it was a cool concept, even though a lot there's, I guess, a lot of backlash on the voice changer being like, oh, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. I'm like, well, I, you know, technology. But. <laughs> that was, that was a thing. That was a complaint from people that I just, that didn't bother me. It's a, it was just twenty years too soon, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's that a, was the issue. Is it was a great total thing now that like we can well, literally have people yeah. at our work and not even voice anything ever again. Once, yeah. but we'll get to once we see the thing. How does it work? <laughs> uh, no buttons, uh, but their names on it. You well, know. Yeah. not the not the button, but like. So jumping way ahead, there's a scene where we get a full on monologue from Ghostface. Invoice. So there's the trader like stuck up in the mask. Like yeah, I don't know that part. Darth Vaderish. It? Yeah. Like, how's it? But I, I mean that I'm willing to suspend disbelief. I think what like well back then I was I was I was actually I wasn't in high school. I was in middle school. It was eighth grade when this came out. Still, um, I was less worried about technology because I was mm-hmm. like, I just kind of accepted accepted for what it was. Now, like with eyes on it, I go like, oh, well, that is something that we can do now. So maybe Roman just had skills and like did it before anybody else. Like, I don't know. I just I accept it for what it is. But yes, it is convoluted at the time. So if I were more of an adult when it did come out, I'd be like, that's not how technology works. But as like a young kid, I'm like, this is so fun. Like, mm-hmm. I want to talk like someone else. Like, I, I was excited by the prospect of the idea rather than the actual how-to execution of it that I would have been as an adult seeing this in 2000 versus as a 14-year-old seeing it in the year 2000. Right. So, Scream 2, I was still like, how do they have the voice of the killer? Like, a, how many of these out there that they knew the exact one yeah and then how did billy's mom get it if she wasn't connected to roman who basically set up billy to do all this well yeah Sorry. That, that's I mean, not, you want to talk not... about voice changing things and then scream two is the real problem there well when she goes to collect her son's belongings or goes through his home after he's dead and there's another one sitting in the dresser maybe oh, she yeah, took oh, that's they would leave it there probably <laughs> Yeah, they probably weren't very like smart about the voice changers. I mean, I, I could imagine it would be. I, I imagine that the voice changer was probably became public knowledge because Gail probably was like, "What voice was it?" and all that type of thing. I feel like Gail would have like revealed the voice changer to be like, "And this is the one that they used." I'm sure there was a whole <laughs> chapter in the book about the voice changer. Um, yeah, so she probably stole the at Radio Shack. 
Yeah, yeah I know. I was like, yeah. they got this version, but luckily nowadays you can get this upgraded yeah. version. Well, I just so. now. It's it's funny, like too, like so. Go, let's go back to the the opening here with Cotton. He's in the thing. He's got this like crazy chase by like the Capitol Records building and all that stuff to show how we're in Hollywood now with that whatever. But there was the weird thing, like so. Kelly Rutherford is. <laughs> showering and wandering through and setting us up for the slippery floor um but like and then when he comes in attacks the fight do you like the, the line like you know i don't like your stab games so i'm like <laughs> yeah i mean what are your stab games Cotton? <laughs> what is what kind of i, I mean like okay <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've rewatched that scene. I literally just watched the opening scene right before yeah. we started this again. And I'm still struggling with how he like managed to drive so aggressively in LA at mm. that time of day um, and not get pulled over or actually be able to get away with what he did to get home that quickly. Right. Because that's not doable as I just drove past um, yesterday, drove past like that same route that he took or, well, that's also not a consistent route. Like, let's be real. No, no. Um, but like I drove past like a couple of those things in the evening around when that was happening and I could barely move. It took me like 30 minutes to go a mile and a half. What, he, and there's no start, way around it. He start by like the Hollywood Bowl and then maybe yeah. yeah, like and then he gets by Capitol Records, which not doable in that quick even no. if you're driving on the side of the road. No. Uh, no, not doable whatsoever. No. Um, yes, and we're again, thinking about LA traffic. I was just like, wait a minute, he hit that lady, and now she's going to report a hit and run and not get <laughs> compensated because he's gone. Hundred percent cotton. Uh, He'll get out. Oh of it. my gosh, I love that freaking bill. There was a billboard which it said it was weekdays. I would wear a hundred percent cotton shirt with him like that. I, I would, would too. Yeah. Weekdays at three thirty, and yet it's on when he gets home, and it's evening. I was like, it ain't. It's not that dark at four thirty in LA or four. Whatever um, time of show it in. Talking about well, I mean, it is LA. at like it is in December at four thirty. Oh, it's not no. that dark. Okay. Um, but the story checks out. Yeah, I mean, but this didn't take place in December, so. <laughs> but no, I just I struggle with the lack of traffic, and uh, and again, I'm from California, I'm from LA, um, around LA, so I did I was very like cognizant of the lack thereof or convenience of traffic in LA that I'm like that does not exist. <laughs> so so that that part was the hard for me to grasp of like he would have gotten a ticket and I wasn't even driving when I saw this movie and I still would have been like he would have gotten a ticket right uh, which to be fair would have been smart that would have been really interesting but it wouldn't have worked for the movie which is my issue with five when we get to five but like if he's driving that fast cops would have followed him and that would have been a best case scenario because he would have parked ran cops would have ran after him be like follow me and right. then like cops show up at the house yeah that would have been interesting um that could have been interesting but it wouldn't have worked because then he wouldn't have been able to die but it would have been more believable so yeah well yeah and then so like when they come face to face and for the point like there's like a weird like when she from when she hits him across the face with the fire poker and stuff like there's yeah. some like quantum of solace like bad edits where i'm like they jump around and i'm like can't exactly see what's going on because like sh like she hits him pandemonium and then she gets stabbed and then it like cuts like funny with her after she gets stabbed um like it jumps or something like that it's really weird it's some funky edit i'm wondering if they just couldn't 
like one take, like they liked one thing from one take and like the other, and they just couldn't sort of like splice it, see if people give a shit. But it was kind of, yeah, it's just really weird. Is the opening first... supposed to be the shining? Like, because he stabs through the door and then kind of a husband mm. turning on the family? I know. I'm still thinking about that. I know. I mean, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting because I, I liked that it was the the misdirect of her when Cotton was really trying to save her and she felt threatened yeah. by him, though he wasn't the killer. I think that was dynamic enough for me to be like, oh, this is still an engaging opening scene because what if she... I think it would have been more interesting if she actually like killed him or like made him unconscious or something like if she took him out and then she died after so it wasn't even like the killer ended up killing cotton so like that kind of i think tonally that would have fit the movie of this Uh whole like campy like over the top thing and being like oh my god his girlfriend actually killed cotton but now everybody thinks the killer did it and he like kind of if the killer kind of like shrugged and then just killed her and was like (laughs) well okay like that kind of maybe would have been more like kind of fun i think because you if you're going to go through the hassle of making him look like the threat to her even though we know it wasn't having her actually or just like making him unconscious so that she dies and then like he like comes to and the killer's over his face and he just stabs in like i don't yeah. think we needed the brawl between between cotton and the killer right um i already got that between him and his girlfriend so like let the killer get away with not having to add more kills to his thing and let the girlfriend actually knock out or take down cotton and then he can kind of just laugh at it being like haha my plan's gonna work the rest of this movie mm-hmm. now because i fooled them like like take more joy in that i think there could have been more fun for that opening but i'm not mad at it i think i was engaged and entertained it, it's but cotton's the... like ripped like he's in good shape oh, no. so again he... i'm kind of like He's trying to get the whatever role, right? Like, well, he, um, Leif Schreiber, uh, was working out because I believe he was getting buff for some of all fears or something like that uh, that he was in. And he wanted, he made sure Wes Craven made him a tight sweater and they took his jacket off so he could show off his muscles. Like, he talks about it on the commentary. But I don't believe that then. So then this, this, uh, the killer who doesn't exactly look like he can, you know, bench press anything Mm -hmm. is able to overpower cotton and a bookshelf falls down on the killer here. Yeah. And then when he pushes the bookshelf off because he's so strong, cotton gets blasted off like it's the bridge of the enterprise and, Mm -hmm. you know, like just gets thrown across the room. And I'm like, okay, this is, I love everything about the opening scene, but that's the only part where my, well, so. When they started shooting, well, the the part of this is like a reshoot too, because they started shooting it, and then when they went back, he had buffed up, and he's like, "Can we do this with a small shirt?" So there's (laughs) cutting, they're cutting between different things here. So there, there, it's Uh, is what it is. But Cotton goes down. See, but then that that now makes even more sense if his girlfriend took him out, because obviously Cotton wouldn't be that aggressive towards his girlfriend to try to do it. So if she did the like the poker and it really did hit him, he probably would have gotten knocked out. And that like that tracks so that if he would have been knocked out, the killer could have gotten on top of him. And he like slowly comes to opens his eyes to see the killer go slice. That makes they should have done. That's what they probably should have done. Because, yeah, because I feel like the girlfriend, the poker to the head would have knocked him out no matter how buff he is. And he wouldn't have been all like all um, high octane adrenaline trying to calm her down and she was so scared 
that she could easily have harmed him and he could have gotten harmed by that. I'm so, trying to figure out if Liev Schreiber and Kelly Rufford shared a frame together because this this role was originally like just a dead body and then it started growing and then they actually had to cast somebody for it and I, and there was reach for this opening. Together. Huh? Did they share a frame? Okay, because I'm like, I wonder if they were even in a frame together because, yeah, no, well, well, did they share it face, face to like both faces on screen in the same frame because yes. you can have a stand in easily. Okay. Okay. There, there's a couple parts where she's swinging, like where I think you can see like profile of him that it oh, couldn't have been okay, okay. And, it, and she's like this way and he's coming towards her. I mean, there, there's no way or that would have okay. just cost a fortune in editing. I mean, That's maybe right. not all of it together, but I imagine that they would have done some. But yeah, and the more I think about it, and I didn't think about that until we started talking about it, is I wish she took him out. Um, which would have played into the whole voice changer really working mm-hmm. um, if she took him out. And then the killer, like, stabbed him when he was coming to. That would have been really, like, that would have been really jarring and shocking and interesting. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I'm not mad it didn't reference other movies um, because I thought it was it was exciting. It was fine it was enough. Exciting. It just didn't fit the yeah. mold that I, I liked of the first two. Cotton that, got what but... he wanted, though, that negotiation at the end of two. Oh, yeah. You know? He got his fame. Diane. Yeah, and I and that character is so believable too, where he just mm-hmm. that like opportunity yeah. guy. Like it just these movies are like they still seem timeless because these character tropes still exist today. Like yeah. this character could be written in a movie today and you would be like, Yep, that tracks. That that works. Right. Uh um, so. gotcha. Um but Sydney, she's the opposite. She is secluded. Because Nev Campbell can't be there all the time, and but I do like this thing that she works for a women's abuse help thing. That's a that's a that's a nice choice uh, yep. to have her there um, working anonymously on the phone. And her dad comes back in this one. Yep, good to see him. With him. Good to see old old Mister Prescott. But yeah, my, my the crux story that Courtney Cox are uh, doing Gail separated again, and she's giving a lecture. And I like the intro scene. Where she gives the lecture, they they try to they try to once again like plant seeds to red herring Gale, uh, with the student going, "Tell us, Miss Weathers, was it worth it?" Like, mm-hmm. uh, ooh, maybe uh, she's into this. But when uh, she's told backstage that there's a guy out there, he's with the police, and she gets excited like it's Dewey and it's Detective Kincaid, which I'd be bummed. And then too. she got even more excited because that hair mm-hmm. is just gorgeous. <laughs> oh my gosh. He's such a little man in real life, though. Um, Patrick mm-hmm. Dempsey. I had no idea how tiny he was. Um, I've like I saw him in person finally, and I was like, I'm towering over this man. Oh, um, wow. He's a very he's a very little lad. Um, See, like Robert Downey Jr. height, because he's a I, I, short, short, yeah. short, short, short man. It, it's very. They have such a big presence on screen, but then in real life, you're like. Hi down there. Like I don't know. I mean, I'm oh, tall. Hello there. I'm Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, like oh, oh the weed into lad. My magic. Yeah, yeah, but again, lovely man and oh, all that. Don't say anything negative. Five, I just was surprised. Five, nine. Oh, no, five, he's nine. not. Lies, lies. That's lies. Yeah. lies. That's I saw a costume sheet for him. Maybe on an uh, Apple box. Five nine yeah. and fourth. They got s- specific there. Yeah. No. There, I, I saw. I saw an actual. Oh, this costume. one says five ten and a half. Lies. Yeah, I saw an actual the lies, an actual costume. <laughs> I'm not going to reveal the real height, but um, because I don't know if I, I mean I saw the actual costume like thing for a movie that he did, and I was like, 
wait, he's that sure. I was like, this is the official measurement sheet of his, like the cast of this movie. And um, I was blown away by the the written down documented studio height of him, which is not what the Internet says. Interesting. You know, my boyfriend's driver's license says he's five nine. And I remember I go, no, you're not. He's like, well, yeah. that's what Dr. Cop told me. And I'm like, well, I don't think you are because my friend that's 5'10 is like a lot taller than you and me. And then it's like, I think we're kind of close to the same height. And I'm 5'5. Five, five. <laughs> so I think he's like 5'7, five, 5'8, five, but whatever. It's funny. I don't know why. You guys don't care about that, do you? Height? I guess Dempsey does. Never mind. Uh, I do. <laughs> I mean, I'm I I do I'm 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 just as bad as the people on Love Island where I'm like, oh, what do you find attractive? Oh, he's really tall. <laughs> like I, I like tall has become a personality trait for me. For like people I like am into. Like it's really I need to work on that. But I I, I for some reason and I'm six one and I still go for people taller than me. I don't know how or why and it works, but it's just it's it's hard for me to look otherwise but yeah height height matters maybe that's why for I love me. Matthew Lillard so much because he was like what's not dang dangly or gangly but he was just so tall and like skinny and it was like oh Thank you, yeah. I love you Matthew Lillard wait I didn't realize Patrick Deputy is 57 oh, oh my yeah, gosh I, I didn't even pay attention to that part well he wasn't in this movie but he right. currently is but still right. um still so good. so yeah. this like there Greg did you have you heard about this alternate opening apparently for this movie I did at one point, yeah, Where, but I don't know all the specifics. Uh, Sydney was in the opening, and someone was calling her, and uh, she that when they the ghost face shows up, she shoots him dead, and it ended up being some kid trying to prank her, and that's why she moved to seclusion. I did hear something like that, and that kind of would have been amazing, but at the same yeah. time, though, I don't want Sydney to go through more hell than that. Like right. I think she's been through... She's she's been stabbed multiple times by this point. She's watched loved ones literally get massacred in front of her eyes by right. this point in time. I think her going into seclusion is justified without her accidentally mm-hmm. killing somebody. Oh man. So but she's already killed people too. That's what's worse. Is like she's already actually killed people. I mean, who deserve to die in self-defense, but like I don't think her now taking on the burden of an accidental death really is what needs to push her over the edge beyond what she's been through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the movie we go to the, it's about stab three, the return to Woodsboro. And Oh boy, is it, uh, I don't know what this movie they're trying to make is like, it's like a movie full of flashbacks or something. Cause they, yeah, the sets they and stuff, that. but, uh, this, this is neat. They got a little cameo by Roger Corman there. The studio is run by, uh, John Milton played by, Lance Henriksen, Scott Foley's Roman Bridger director. Um, Oof, gotta, that, gotta, gotta... that is where I'm going to go into having issues with this movie about him being the director. Yeah. But we'll get there. So, uh, yeah, and the movie's like having trouble with the production, shutting down. We've talked about Jenny McCarthy dying, being the second death. It's neat to see the sets and things like that and hear the sort of like meta talk about stuff um but these these characters just i don't know aside from parker posey i'm just like they're fun but i'm just like okay you're gonna die at some point you're gonna die at some point you're you know like i i I don't know like i don't i don't feel for them like i have others in the first two movies i'm just kind of like okay this kind of feels like the first time where i'm like all right let's just 
almost like, oh, who's it going to be in the end? Like at that point, rather than enjoying a lot of the journey with it, though there is a, there's some good investigation with Gail and Parker Posey that I like going on. Um, but with these people, like, I, I don't know, it, it's kind of weird. Like they're, there's less depth to them. I like what so, the actors bring to these parts, but yep. not what they are on paper. A lot of them, but uh, I, I, I like, I do like um, some of the things, some of the things to do with them. But the, they're in this scene where we first see the studio. Josh Pice, who's uh, Raphael in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the voice of. Um, when they're asking what the police are doing there, he's like, he was in a movie called Stab. He was stabbed. Yeah, I love that delivery. <laughs> like, I always, it kills. I like that's a good one. Though <laughs> I thought, but that's the thing about this movie is, it kind of pokes fun at. Okay, well then let's let's reflect back on our. I know what you did last summer trilogy and our Urban Legends trilogy. Mm-hmm. The third movies are arbitrary, crappy, random actors in them, not really relevant to the story. Now we have Scream 3, the third of this, which is actually rooted in the original movie. Like, that is the core of the original Scream Mm -hmm. is the core of 3. But they're making Scream 3, which now, in the context of the stab, or they're making Stab 3 in the context of the stab world, is essentially the... I um I always know what you did last summer and or, or Urban Legend Buddy Mary with the randos right. who are just gonna die. So in that respect, it's just like it's even pr- it's more, a premonition that that's gonna yeah, happen like to those more others. Meta of the fact that like typical third movies go off the rails, and this one managed to not only bring together your like original cast, do something different, and then make a knock about how Stab 3 is already going kind of off the rails, where like original cast people couldn't come back, and now they're doing flashbacks, they're doing this random-ass crap that typically happens in third movies, Mm -hmm. where Randy sets it up as like the third movie if you're doing a proper trilogy, but you notice he doesn't really list off horror movies as much when he's talking about like trilogies where you find out something important that wasn't revealed in like the first one or like a secret reveal so like it takes the rules of a trilogy but mm-hmm. not by like horror movie tradition trilogy because usually those fail in the typical I, I, sense what i will say like so a friend friend of the show mike vanderbilt has said about scream 3 despite whatever and ever about it the movie does know the assignment yes it does, I, it does. Yeah. And after movie, I cannot say that I recently just saw that did not understand the assignment, <laughs> which <laughs> I will talk about in the future. Um, uh, like, I I don't care if a movie like has its flaws, if it leans into them and it just knows what it wants to be and just says, this is what we are and owns it. This movie owns it. And I feel like it still and it still has good performances in there because you have your legacy characters and you have Parker Posey. Let's just be real; she's in it. <laughs> Which, great. Like, by the way, do you know who the first alt the alternate pick for Parker Posey's character was? Jennifer Coolidge. No, I'm just kidding. And, um, Jennifer Aniston. And guess what? It would have worked too. But I'm glad we have Parker Posey. Tay Leone. Oh, I did know that. Okay, yes. Okay. Yeah. That would have worked. That would have worked. worked. Different, different way and been probably yeah good in a different way but yeah it would have worked it would have been it would have been sharper like Taylor Leone has more of a 
bite to her. Right. While Parker Posey has that like eccentricness to her. Yeah. That like is more playful. Where I feel like Taylor Leone would have really gone head to head with Gail, and it would have been like, "Ooh, I feel uncomfortable." It'd like, have been a bit colder. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been much colder, and that would have been interesting. But I, I almost wish. But see, they're so different, Taylor and like Parker Posey, that I kind of wish they were both in the movie. Like, I don't want one or the other, but I kind of want to see like Gail have uh, like because Taylor would have been more like the way Gail actually truly is with that like right, yeah, yeah. No, like, she could have been Gail Weathers herself. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. So like yeah, she really could have been, but like Parker Posey could never have been Gail, but Taylor only could have been Courtney Cox as the Gail. So yeah, that's interesting. Here to think we about. go. If we would have seen scenes with Gail from Stab in Scream Two, Taylor would have fit better than Parker Posey. Agreed, a hundred percent agreed. I don't know how we go. Parker Posey would have been in Stab Two if Stab Two was really like scream three which mm-hmm. when we talk about four i have some weird questions about that which we'll get to because okay. they left it stab three in stab four because we know a stab three was made but not the movie that they were making in scream three of stab three i was gonna say because i feel like stab three after thinking about it was this movie <laughs> never supposed to actually happen the whole movie was just supposed to be someone else getting to all these people together. So with no intentions of them living, I guess. So they had no intentions of making the movie like for real. Cause did they shoot any scenes? Yeah. They um, caught in a yeah. scene and they just started. I don't, I think they just started before thing. And to be fair, production would have gotten shut down. Like in, especially the way we know movies today are at least working. And after like, I mean, production, if, if cast members start dying, production would have shut down very yep. They wouldn't have, this wouldn't have been like a whole debate about like, um, I mean, we would have not have had that line of they're in a movie called Stab and they got stabbed. Like that line wouldn't have happened if they got shut down that quickly. But in reality, that is one of the big suspension of disbelief moments is that like this movie would still be discussed as an option to -hmm. carry on the minute this happened or it would have been put on hold for a, like a substantial period of time before the investigation would happened of like cotton's death like so much would have happened and i get roman's like passion of like we got to make this movie but like what you're saying jessica is like did he even want to make a movie and this is where i don't have any defense to it other than i just accept it we talked about how convoluted the plot is of I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. This is so much more convoluted than <laughs> I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Because, yes, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. You had to have the son befriend um, um, befriend that group and manage to somehow weasel his way on this trip and come a love interest and all these things. Like, difficult and rigged the con. All that stuff happened. But in this one, Roman, like became a successful director and managed to take over a franchise for a successful movie franchise of all things for the third one, which happens to be the same studio that his mother worked (laughs) on back in the day. That was also about the person who is like, like about the people who like kill the mother and do a movie about his own (laughs) mother. Like, 
How did he manage to go to film school, get a career in directing, and still land a role in doing Scream? Like, why did he not try to direct Scream 1? Was he too young at the time? Did he Was he an assistant <laughs> on the first Stab movies? Like, that is my only real issue Wait. is I wish he wasn't the director. If wasn't he wasn't yeah. his dad? What? Wasn't Milton, the producer, his dad? No. 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 That's why this movie is so difficult to be like, how did he manage to do this? Because Holy you crap. have to be talented. He seemed to have a pretty great life. So you're yeah. that bitter about your mom dying and Sydney being like the prominent one when you are a successful Hollywood director? Like, I hate you. Like, this is like my worst <laughs> nightmare of like somebody being like, you're literally a director for revenge. Like you don't even appreciate everything you've accomplished in your life. I just want to like shake Roman well, and be like, it, how dare you? And this takes place four years after the first scream, right? Yep. So five years after him, Billy and Stu murder the mom. Yeah. Yeah. You, and Sydney was six. He had to already have been a successful person at that point. Like he isn't some like, yeah, he had to be on his way or something. Like, why would he fucking care? Yeah, that's what I mean. Is like, this is why this movie didn't even need to really change if he was the AD or if he was the assistant on the set or if he was Milton's assistant even because an assistant would have access to a lot of that information, obviously, because that's what assistants do. And he could have justified like, oh, they're filming Stab 3. Oh, wait a second. Let me try to get this thing. He maybe could have like rigged his resume to have gotten an assistant job or like pulled off something where he maybe was a nobody who then lied about who he was to get onto set to become an assistant or like plan it over a couple of years. That I would have believed also, more than him being a successful director. Also, with how he is personality wise, he's like, I watched her. I'm like, then, okay, you knew she had a daughter, your sister. You didn't want to like, pull the sister aside one day be like hey i'm your brother if you were yeah. really looking for that or if grandma's still i'd be like why is ma this that's my mom blah blah like wait who's you, his dad then who's his dad it's is unknown he, because it I was at some orgy party that this Milton happened and all those dudes supposedly whatever gangbang fucked her three ways from sunday yes maureen you um, said it's quotable yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> and then but then how would he have known that unless it's almost like I just don't understand where he got adopted or he maybe that's how she decided to like I'll leave Hollywood and be hush hush but here's this baby and you have to take care of it big time producer which has no reflection on Harvey Weinstein at all <laughs> this whole Miramax thing uh, well this movie Milton, came back up when that yep. stuff went down because literally the, what the girl that plays Sydney, the actress, she won that role as an actress. And then yeah. everyone's like, oh, you're goody two shoes, whatever. Who did you have to climb over and claw your way to the top yep. to get this role? And she's like, you guys, I just really want to do this. And then she's like, no, I fuck that pig. <laughs> I better, I went out of here. I'm going to live. I'm not going to Emily Mortimer is great and these. undervalued in this movie, but well, she was supposed, she to, be was supposed to be the other killer. There was supposed to be oh, Roman and her. Yeah. And they still leave. It's still present in this film. That's part of the problem with this film is one of the things mm. they didn't like part of why she was there and also that Columbine had two killers, so we don't want to have two killers here, which is dumb because Scream has always had two killers. And um, like 
her death scene was a fake death. Like, so when you see her getting dragged, that's meant to be a fake death scene. Oh. Um, and it was supposed to be some twisted incestual fantasy of Romans that why he was dating her because she was play she was playing Sydney and all this stuff. And also, she was supposed to be some girl that sat next to Sydney in class and never paid attention to her or anything like that. And she didn't even recognize her. But they bring that back up something. later in another movie. Something like that. Oh, and well, yes, and. When they she catches her in the bathroom, yeah, with the stuff that was supposed to be like, oh, whoops! I was actually really going to put this stuff on and call you and do this yeah, stuff. That's so weird. It's, like, it's okay, all left in the movie. Trying to do scream one, we're like, oh, a little, you know, nod to the first bathroom scene where yeah. the boots come down, but instead wow. it's like, no, I'm just dressed like this. Hey, well, and there's stuff that's just impossible for Roman to do in this movie yeah. because there's. They were filming it with two people as the killer and like the, the part where she finds her in the bathroom and then they run through the house and there's the magic body bag that rises. Yeah. How is that? Ugh. Because there was two of them. But that's why yeah. like, well, are they hallucinating? <clears throat> I thought Sydney was hallucinating that until the end. He does it again. And I'm like, oh, OK, maybe she's not hallucinating. It. it really was a killer. Well, how did he take his own death like that too? the way he did she that? was supposed to help set that up? <laughs> Well, exactly. So, watch, we find out in, like, Scream 7 that, like, there's a secret killer that really was there the whole time in 3. Oh, my um, gosh, she didn't die. They know, yeah. she didn't die. They never claimed the body. Yeah. Oh, my God, if Emily Mortimer comes back in 7 as, like, the like the reveal, like, mm-hmm. he just was protecting <clears throat> me because we truly were in love. <laughs> and she's the killer in yeah. 7 going, yeah, that would be... Um, because that would be that would justify Sydney's return. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Scream seven. If you're listening, um, if you haven't written it yet, bring back Emily Portifer. It's the secret third killer. Right. The second to make the movie that she was supposed to make. So yeah, you know, she's traumatized, and everyone had to hump Mister, whatever Milton. <laughs> Milton. Which, yeah. Gosh, mm-hmm. that's just so. That was so on the nose. After you know all the Weinstein stuff, you're like, God, yeah, we're really it's, talking about it. We're which is it so was funny. Things were different. It's just funny that movies showcase how bad the industry is and yet well, never we doing say, anything about it. Yeah, yeah. And they don't do it. Like, it's just like, Oh, but then, but, but then like acknowledging it in the movie and like having characters like that, you almost kind of, you're desensitized to it, but then you almost go like, well, like it can't be as bad as what the movie's making out to be. Also- because that's the movie. Also, this is a Dimension Films of Branch of Miramax owned and produced by Harvey Weinstein himself. The whole time watching, like, we're literally like, we're going to write this about what we know. Because um, we saw him do it to like Rose McGowan or God knows mm-hmm. however many people. Maybe that's why Kate Hudson turned the role down because he's like, you want to bob this dick? And she's like, no, I'm going to go do this other yeah. thing. Who knows? I don't know. Um, Allegedly. I did like Milton has a diving board off the window in his office. <laughs> that's... Kind of neat. Didn't Milton Milton's house is where they go at the end, right? With all the fancy secret passageways and a oh. giant banner that says "Happy Birthday, Roman," which is also the finale uh, house uh, classroom place from Halloween H two O. It's the same building. It is. I thought it looked familiar. Same building. Yep. Yeah. Because wait, what year did H two O come out? Ninety eight. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which it's. Only fair because H2O borrowed score music from Scream so they can 
pay it forward by saying you can use the same finale house as we did. So, but, you know what's uh, weird? I actually saw H2O in theaters, mm-hmm. which came out in 98. So I was really young. Both movies have Creed. Oh, Dude, yeah. They're all that's, about Creed. That's the what if? What <laughs> if? Ah! And there's the my favorite thing is when Cindy goes into her old bedroom and there's the Creed poster. <laughs> how much money did they owe Creed or something? Did they lose a bet? Like how? And did Creed they... had two songs on the soundtrack, not just one. Gosh, uh, and like it's in Cotton's freaking stereo, ready to play. The what? Yeah, water, I was like, what? what? And they had a music video the with the Creed guys running through these sets from a killer. Holding hands with girls, running around like Scott Stapp, like, oh no, it's a ghost thing. <laughs> well, Red Right Hand came back, but I looked it up. That uh, is the yeah. roll call. Online. That is the roll yep. call, which is and brilliant. They started the, not started the movie. They started it early on. At they did. They did it when they're on the movie set. It's the mm-hmm. it's yep. Yep. When you post to the movie set, it comes back on. But it was or on the studio Scream set. Three, I guess. But it's, um, Jay and Silent Bob, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I, okay. When they're doing the studio, movie studio tour, I freaking love it. I love that they throw in, like, again, it's the Easter eggs in the little universe that we all live in. It's all the same. And I love it. And well, Wes that's in there, too. Wes is with them. Yeah. Wes okay. Craven's with them. And uh, I think I think his, uh, his first AD or somebody, it's two of them. But then Wes then turns around and is in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Awesome. When they wander onto the set of a Scream movie with a horrible joke of the killer being a monkey. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's a, like, oh, move on, move on, move to something else, guys, move. That was a bad joke. Um, um Is there a reason why Carrie Fisher did the movie? I love that scene, but why is It's Carrie brilliant. Fisher- it's it's brilliant, actually. It's one of the most brilliant yeah. touches in this movie. I it think is. they were, they had, like, three different uh, iconic, Hollywood people they were going for for this role but Carrie Fisher fits the bill because oh, yeah. it's a trilogy and it's you know they talk about but it signifies the kind of bullshit retroactive sibling reveal of the killer that's not yeah. true until you watch the third one which that's the same as the Luke and Leia sibling revelation in Return of the Jedi oh my which gosh, I didn't even think about that isn't true until um, Return of the Jedi because Leia was not Luke's sister in the original plans. It was Mara Jade who became a fan, who became Luke's love interest in novels. But uh, the Star Wars was supposed to go a lot longer than in uh, one, two, three. And then they decided, you know what? I'm done with this. I want to cap it off. But Luke was supposed to find his long lost sister um, across the galaxy in the form of Mara Jade, the redhead. Um, but then he wrapped it up and said, eh, it's Princess Leia. Which Darth Vader was not supposed to be his father either, until the like third rewrite of Empire Strikes Back. So interesting. But Which... that's that's what I love about here because they point those things out, and there we go. Yeah, and I just love Parker Posey giving her like the jewelry and like just trying to like Jurgenstein. Yeah, like she's out gailing Gale. Like I just think it's just it's such a fun movie, and like even the whole house like blowing up scene i'm like it's just fun it's campy fun. And, gale, and like when they both fall down like fly off the mountain and gale and and dewey's like they're both both gales are calling him and he's like <laughs> i don't really know like of course he's gonna go to real gale but i just i just love that like doofy moment of just what do i do because 
like what should he do his job's kind of to protect parker posey but like his actual love is still gale and now he's in this weird situation like it's just funny but like still tense in its own way like there's still tension created i don't know i think it's fun well there's an honesty in the fact that i that i liked about um that they have after the movie gets held up production wise that they're having this powwow at tom prince's house because like that's what you would do like because when you're when you're in a when you're filming a movie or you're doing a stage production of something even though it's a limited run of your life like those are your best friends at the moment those are everybody you're around every day and that's who like like so they were like well fuck why you guys just want to come over to my house tonight and get fucking loaded because this fucked us up and everybody you know there's it feels like that would happen like yes because even though they all hate each other like it's it feels like that's something that would honestly happen. Yeah. You would commiserate together. Like that's just it bonds you and that yeah. So I I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I continue to like this movie more and more the more I've actually like engaged with Hollywood. Because again, when it came out, I was fourteen and eighth grader, and now I am substantially older and I have experienced Hollywood in multiple ways mm-hmm. um, as an adult. And I just, I continue to grow an appreciation for the absurdity of this movie. And I, and I even do, I like the kill scenes enough. I mean, like the opening kill scene still is suspenseful and mm-hmm. clever. Um, Jenny McCarthy's is only clever just because when you find out the killer reveal at the end that it is Roman and yet like, you're made to not believe it's Roman because the whole voice changer thing was already established. So now it's like the, the killer could do anything, but that was just Roman literally being Roman until he put on the fake voice of it to like actually take down Jenny McCarthy. Um, or just, they, they did with that scene, they cut a point of view shot from outside that studio from the movie of her arriving. So it was like, she was being watched, but they cut it out because it was supposed to be two of them and one was outside calling and the other because I'm like, was he sitting there in that costume rack making the phone call <laughs> wait, waiting yeah. for her to run in there? Like That is terrifying though. All those like, yes. face costumes. I'm like, oh hell. This would be my that would be I would my lay nightmare. down on the floor. I would just probably lay down and go, just come on out. It's over. Yep. It's over. Don't Agreed. Me. I'm gonna have a panic attack just trying to figure out which one it is and yeah. I would have started crying just like you. I would have lied down. I'd be like, I'm done. Finish me off. No, yep. No. Uh, like, I just thought that was clever. I thought it was funny with the whoever, the, the fax machine, which doesn't exist really nowadays in the same way like it used to. I thought that was clever. Like, it just, at least they did something unique with the deaths in its own way. And it worked because it wasn't a typical ghost face thing because it really was out for revenge. For Sydney, like it was, I mean, the other people didn't really need to die in the process, but like, I don't wait. How did he end up getting Sydney's phone number again to get the woman's calling thing or the call center or whatever when he finally did um, get her out of hiding? Like, she shows up at the well, police station, like, the killer called me. How did Roman get that number? Yeah, I don't know that part. I, I don't know, like but but there was also it. when they talk about a woman calling to ask about Sydney's or, or, who somebody they a woman called Woodsboro called, and, Woodsboro, and it was actually supposed to, it was meant to be Elmily Mortimer's character who was doing that calling. That's why they're looking for a uh, woman. Um, but yeah, yeah. That, how did they get it? Because what Dewey knew her number because it was and, on the set of the movie. So if he borrowed Dewey's phone, 
I think Gail did say that. So he got so he got the number by taking Dewey's phone. I guess Dewey being dumber in this movie it makes that more logical. Like, yeah, he but probably, he would keep Sydney in his phone as crisis hotline. Yeah, that's where I'm confused. That is so yeah. weird. Like, it would just be like Sydney's direct line. I guess we aren't supposed to question that. Mm-hmm. Well, but yeah, I mean, but again, I think that again, testament to these actors and like to this franchise that in all its absurdity, I still have fun with it. Unlike other franchises where like I can I can tell you about every single Scream movie and each individual beat of every movie when other franchises I'm like, was that which one was that like Saw? I've seen them all. I enjoy them all. I love the franchise. I can't tell you beyond three what happens in four, five, six, seven, eight. Like, I can't really, like, I know what happens. They start blending together. Scream, they're all very distinct, clear movies Mm -hmm. that have very strong strengths. Like, there's strengths to them. And I think that that is mostly a testament to the actors and the cast that they tend to get. Um, And that's why these work the way that they do. I think the other movies and other franchises are interesting concepts and for some reason look cheaper. Scream never looks cheap to me. There's nothing about these movies that end up looking cheap like the eventual like franchise movies that have so many in them where like some of them look way more low budget than others. The Screams never really ever feel like they've cheapened themselves to a point where they don't fit in with the rest like other franchises do in in horror in other genres but that's why i feel like scream is better or stronger as a franchise like and more connected to non-horror trilogies than it is to the horror genre because it kind of beats the odds um compared to other horror movies i guess um if that makes sense like i think trilogies in other genres can be very strong and independent movies of them like dramatic or mysteries or all the things and scream accomplishes that where like name another franchise where like every movie you can clearly talk about has a clear pov whether or not it's like good or bad you can have fun with it like i don't know of any movie series that now scream what this will are six ones coming out that you can really have that much fun with every movie and you can say oh that's from Scream 3, that's from Scream 2, that's from 4, that's from 1, that's from 5. Like, name another horror franchise that is that defined. Can you? Like, Halloween? I know you probably can, Brandon. But like, <laughs> that's, I, not, that's, I, not, that's not the right one to ask. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, but that's my point. Like, I know you can, but like, I can't, like, I mean, and from somebody who loves horror and all that, they all just become this weird mush in my head of like, all the Halloweens start blending together. And even like, Halloween H2O and Resurrection and all those. I've seen them all. I own them on DVD. They all start blending together to me. Like, I, I sometimes think certain scenes well, in Resurrection. Well, it's your favorite. There's a difference there, too. Like True, but I, mean, I like the Halloweens. Like, I'm not saying I don't. It just, for some reason, Scream manages to, even in what's considered Scream 3, the worst mm-hmm. of all of them. I mean, I think, you, like, I think even all the Rotten Tomatoes and the IMDb scores have this as the lowest one. It's still so fun to talk about it's bubbly whether... though that's that's part of what ha- helps it is it has a bubbly nature to it and screen kind of has its own vibe um i, w- I would say th- like with the other ones like i can separate your halloweens your nightmare on elm streets your 
your Friday the 13th easily, but I had those before I had Scream. So I was watching those up and down and up and left and right and stuff before there was a Scream. Um, uh, so I had, you know, it's kind of easy for me to do that. Um, Were any other movies but, have three characters that made it through three movies though? No, this is, this is the only, this is the only series to consistently have those original cast through. Like, I guess like, let's do the Tommy Jarvis trilogy but he's not played by the same actor either yeah it's just weird because like you get smarter as the movies go on like you should like sydney i love how like uh confident she is with a gun she's like yeah i'm gonna protect myself yeah i'm gonna outsmart you Mm -hmm. i'm gonna have two guns in my boot she grabbed that flak jacket that she stared at and the camera hung on for a while didn't think that was gonna happen oh my gosh Uh, but then like with dewey it's like when he rolls down the hill and he sees a ghost face and he starts shooting a bunch. It's like he shot like five or six times at their chest and he just rolls away. It's like, buddy, were you aiming for the head at all? And then again, we'll see that later. Oh, the end. Yeah. Dewey head. And it's like, duh. Yeah. I think I think a lot of part the problem with this movie where it falls flat is it's killer and the reveal, which Greg pointed out some fantastic absurdities with it. But he's just kind of like, and the fact, who didn't? Who was it that said, "Let's leave the scene in where Courtney Cox checks his pulse and moves on"? Because it's not—it's not that he set up his fake death. That's one thing that we could be like, yeah. hey, "Okay," but the fact that she stops, goes over, checks the pulse, and moves away—like I thought that was a prop arm. Like if anything, if he was like fake dying, he would have like somehow. Well, Wes Craven said there's breathing exercises you can do to slow yeah. your rates. So I'm like, ah. Oh, but you can't. Roman Bridger was the ex. He was like studying, making sure. One sided and the job. He put all that makeup on himself, supposedly, because he was the yeah. lone killer. So there's no way he had that time. Yeah. Unless he's like, and he managed to like become a director of a major franchise somehow. I think he probably would have taken the time to do the breathing exercises to make it better. <laughs> I don't know. I'm it's sorry. Just, it's Roman just slop- is- that's it's pretty sloppy for a film. Like it's it's. And she wasn't really checking that heart because she was like scared. I would be like, I don't yeah. know if there's a pulse. I'd be like, just barely cut that it. And just cut it. Don't even put it in it. the film. Like I, I get it, but again, also I if you're smart, people... don't trust the off-screen death. Well, no, <laughs> I mean, it. but okay. Well, okay. Well, in this movie, at this point of the movie, you know you're in a horror movie because yeah. enough people have died and you're being chased, but you're also. And again, I talked about this in the last podcast. It's somebody who, like, who's kind of been chased and been through like things like that. Like, you really don't think as clearly as you would want to in those situations. It's hard to open doors mm-hmm. when you're being chased. It's hard to do certain things because you just you you're just you're frantic in that energy and you don't really know. But like other some people are good at that. I know that I I'm I know how I am and I can get through things and I'm quick. And I'm not that stupid in those situations because I'm still alive. But um, you're not at, like I. I would probably like touch the body. I I wouldn't touch the body, but I mean, like if I kind of was with somebody, I would be like, "Let me go check," and I might like good enough. They're dead, and like walk away, not even really waiting for a pulse that much. So, so we think Gail Weathers is dumb, or I don't think she's dumb. I just think that she's just like we've been through this. Like I'm tired. I don't want to really like check. I just need like what am I doing? Why am I checking the pulse? Like the dude looks mm-hmm. dead. Like we're under attack. People yeah. are dying. I just don't think it was really like 
registering to her to be like, do I really need to confirm that this man in this box is dead? I don't mm. know why she would have in that moment really needed really needed to confirm. Like, like I get why she thought about doing it, but then I don't know if she would have wanted to hover there because in that reality, it's like, we need to just get out of here. Like now is not the time to like check for dead bodies because we might die while trying to save him type of thing. Like so, did you check her cameraman's pulse in the first one. You know, he had his throat he slit, to, but well, yeah. it, it could have been a fake slit. We don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's bad. It's bad. It shouldn't have been in there. I know it's make sure he's dead because she's like, look, I didn't kill him. I was just making sure he yeah. actually was dead because he could have been the killer. And then turns yeah. out it was a fake knife. I don't know. It's there, but know. it's it's a bad decision in my See, that's funny. You picked that out, and I don't even think that registered to me because it's just there's already so many dead bodies turning up at this point that it's just like, why would I? Why would I assume? And again, we're we're yeah, but coming that's from- in the content. But when you're writing a moment, when you're putting a film together, it's bad. It's a bad move. Like it's yes, cheating. Yeah, it's it, uh, yeah. You can, as the scene is, you can contextualize it throughout, but. When you're creating it, you have to come up with it, and it's just a bad idea. And just okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you. I'll give you. I can justify justify Gail's action in the movie, but I guess I can't justify the screenwriter's decision while writing. So there, there. I'll I'll compromise. Yeah, that's where I'm coming from. Here was like I have I have defended uh, like as is like uh, you know. There's the complaints of Zack Snyder's Man of Steel that, oh, Superman's just going around destroying the city. And so I'm like, yeah, but like Zod's doing all that. What's he supposed to do? Like, this guy's not going to stop at anything. They don't like to kill Zod. But like, I guess you have to write that to begin with and you don't have to make that decision. But uh, movie as is, I can defend that finale. Uh, but I don't know. I'll get like a lot of bleh about that, even though I'm not like, this huge man of steel fan i'm just like given what we're shown but we have to be given what we're shown too so that's that's where i'm coming up with that you know what we were shown what yeah andy wasn't that exciting to see no we're seeing in the movie really (laughs) what scene the randy scene when martha oh i like that it's a sister i loved it because it's like he was hey hey guys oh so embarrassing i hate that scene sorry (laughs) the the sister is so bad they luckily redeem her in five but it's like the guys take care of yourselves oh my god like oh jesus christ oh god it's bad there is a certain lightness to this movie that is a little bizarre given that like real people are dying. I have to fly to the Hollywood to show them this tape I just found. Like I mean, this was uh, again, I can forgive it because I just I like everybody in it. And the fact that here's the thing though, that like the Paul sequence or the the her showing up on the set with the movie as a screenwriting person like who's writing the movie Yes, it isn't really great storytelling because it just seems like why. However, with that being said, the fact that I can even remotely defend it based on like being frantic in the moment, not being bothered, shows that there's still a level of care and a world that they built that 
I want to accept and believe. Like there are other movies where I can never defend choices of the thing being like that does not fit the world. It you can't justify it. It's failed. And at least in this movie, there may be things that are off the rails. You can still find a way to either accept it or forgive it or just do it because of the actor's performance of just committing to whatever absurdity that they're doing. Or there's enough there's enough history there that you kind of can fill in the gaps enough on your own. And I, I appreciate these movies for allowing that for me because a lot of movies I will not defend for stupid choices ever. And this one, I don't mind defending and I can stand by my defense of it. Like, I don't care if people like agree or not. It just, I can stand by my own defense of these choices. Well, the, ta- the actors, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. Oh no, the actors, but they're sitting around in the beginning kind of talking about who would have done it. Who would have killed <coughs> someone? They go, it's probably some fan that was mad that they killed off Randy in the sequel. Mm-hmm. So Randy dies and stabbed too. And then they make a, whatever, I'm so sorry. I cannot think of the actor's name or the character he plays, but it's the one that's not Randy, but it's a knockoff Randy. Yeah, Tyson. The video by, store. Yeah, yeah, Tyson. Yeah. Tyson. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I'm not Randy. But she gets a short shrift because they were trying to make him a suspect, so he doesn't appear. Like, the scene, the powwow at the house, he's intentionally not there to keep him as a suspect. I never he once sh- thought he was a suspect, though, ever yeah. watching it. Dempsey Same. was a suspect. Yep. Um, like he, I was like, it's Patrick Dempsey. He's like his hard on for these murder thing for Sydney and the mom. Like he's just like infatuated with the crime. That's yeah. what I'm, even as a kid, I was like, oh dude, it's it's totally this dude. He does get one of the best scenes, where it's after Sydney gets attacked at the on the movie set, and and that Josh Pice is the, the detective is talking to uh, Emily Mortimer, and he's standing next to her, and he's like. He's like, you took the mask. She's like, I took, I stole it. I mean, I, I took. He's like, you took the mask or you stole the mask. And he, and then he goes, don't look at me. I didn't take shit. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. he's just a great delivery. He's like, don't look at me. I didn't take shit. Like, yeah, it's a great Josh Price. And then his reaction there is like, oh, it's good. That's good stuff. But the the videotape was supposed to be in the ending of the movie too. Um when they are at the house, the movie they're going to watch is that VHS tape of Randy, and it's a segment of it where he gives his recommend his favorite films that aren't scary movies. Oh, his re- film recommendations that aren't scary movies, and there's actually some photos that have surfaced from it because that him playing on the TV matches the s- stuff from Sydney's house, the TV Sydney has in her house, and everything else. So um, there's like script of that. Uh, laying around and then like a couple pictures but it's never actually released that scene but I'm sure there's a lot of deleted stuff from this movie that they haven't shown people I wish I could see it because again as somebody who like if anybody listening has access to that footage I am a fan of this movie I want to see it because I won't hate it I promise so please I'm like a super fan of it Mm -hmm. Um, well also Sydney and Roman they don't meet each other also with this movie till the scene where he reveals himself. That doesn't bother me. It bothers everyone else. It doesn't bother me for some reason because I feel like that's almost more believable. Like, I like that he's not, like, interacting with Sydney throughout the movie because I feel like that just works. Like, it just kind of works in its own way. It just, here's my thing. I still just don't understand how he thinks directing this movie is what's going to lead him to Sydney. Yeah. Like, I just, I still am, I feel like there's so many other ways, like, 
so many things again had to line up like not only did you have to direct this movie but then you had to also get access to dewey Mm -hmm. and like dewey managed to leave the town to come work on the film set like because he would be the only one with access to sydney i feel like he like roman could have done so many other less i mean at least at least in his like plot of revenge he built a career for himself and he was fine he could have lived he could have i mean yeah i don't know like it's just it's it's just tough for me to go like the best revenge is showing you like I mean, what's that like that saying is like the best revenge is showing you like how good you become like death becomes her or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like when they're when you want to you want to like when you get dumped, like, do you want to be like sad and pathetic or do you want to go and become very successful and great and rub it in their face? Like he did all that. So yeah. like, why you got to kill people now? Like what if Rome? I just wish Roman was more pathetic. Like he was a, he was a. He was a sociopath because obviously you wouldn't do it without being that. But I just I wish he was more pathetic because it's like I would kill for his life. Well, not actually kill, but like I would love his life. Like I would love to be a director of horror movies. That would be awesome. Like no, it just makes me angry that he he got so much out of life and yet still that wasn't enough. He had to kill people to finally feel something like. Well, he had to make his own movie. He created this entire saga, he says, because he's the one that filmed his mommy and then caught her cheating and then showed Billy Loomis the footage and then Billy got upset and he's like, oh, excellent, my puppets. Um, Yeah. Which is so weird. But then, so maybe his, again, like his whole thought process wasn't to find Sydney, but he's like, I'll bring her to me. If I can't (laughs) find her, I'm going to direct this movie and start killing people off one by one. And Dewey's here, and eventually she'll show up. And then I'm the Gale author of is, all your pain. And he knew once someone died, Gail would show up because yeah. she's a, a reporter. So they would mm. come to him. It's just so much work. Yeah. It's so it's much work. work. It's a lot it's, of work. It's more work than I still know what you did last summer and rigging a contest and befriending that group and being attractive enough to become a love interest of Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> it's still more work than all of that. Let me tell you what happened. This is what happened. Okay, because I missed that in the movie. Here, this but will make also, you feel better, though. This will make you feel better. The whole movie. Dewey going, was that a threat? And Detective <laughs> Kincaid going, if it was a threat, you'll know it. Dewey goes, was that a threat? Yeah. <laughs> That's, the That's best good. thing ever. I love it. I love David Arquette. I love Dewey's character. So as he sometimes seems so much dumber, I'm like, eh, I'm okay. But you, can you know, for a headshot every once in a while, buddy. Um, you know what's funny? This is what you know what Scream Three did, and this is what the TV show Friends did. They like Joey-fied him because Joey in yeah. season one, two, and three of Friends was not as dumb as he was by the oh, end no, of no, right. season ten. He became a caricature of what? Yeah, yeah, and it, like like Joey was never that dumb. So I feel like Dewey was like a little like he was. Small town cop, kind of doofy, but like you know, had some sense to him. Two, he was much more on point. Like a wounded, he was like a wounded puppy in two. Like that's his doofiness comes from that. Yeah. And now in Scream Three, he's like now like dumb. And then maybe he's got a sense of confidence that has turned him dumb because he's not really as I don't know. Well, 
he also was like a fish out of water. He was like, he was putting on the airs of being more important than he really was with the Hollywood thing. So I feel like people who do that end up coming across as dumber, no matter what, even if they're not, Mm -hmm. because you're like, you're not this person. So it just automatically makes you look a little off. And, and I think he was aware of that with his character too. So again, I can defend this movie. I like it. I stand by it. It's probably like, this is why I've seen it the most out of all of them. Somehow it's the most fun to watch. I'll say, um, I do, I do enjoy the proposal at the end of the movie. Oh yeah. Same. That works really well. Um, but yeah, um, as always, I I go through the soundtracks of these, um, Creed of course has what if, and is this the end? Uh, Fuel Sunburn, best one on there. That plays. It plays to um, when they go to the powwow at Tom Prince's house. That opens up that track, and that's one of my fave albums of the '90s too. Like that one. Um, Static X, so real. System of Down, Spiders, and Finger Eleven, Suffocate. They really went new metal alt rock on the soundtrack for Scream Three. That's the direction they went. There was a bit of everything on Scream Two, and um, Scream One was a bit more poppy. Uh, this is this is like we're going alt rock, we're going down this road, alt rock new metal. Yeah, interesting. So uh, this one had the biggest opening weekend for a Miramax film at the time, or also a film in the January to April frame of the year um, at the time. Of course, we've had Marvel movies been opening up in there through it, but. Um, but it was also the first noticeable uh, dip at the box office for the series. Not the lowest grossing one uh, that's next week, but because um, Scream 2 and Scream 1, like, equal. Like, domestic, foreign, total, just, it's it's like a million or two off from each other. And then this one still made a lot of money, but it was kind of like, all right, got it. Going home. No Scream 4. Um, but we would get a Scream 4. And I'm glad we did because the more I watch that, the more I love it. Well, that'll <laughs> but, be uh, that'll be next week's discussion. I yeah, I think four four is now officially the second most one I've watched. Oh which my! Which is so weird that three and four are the most like my top two. Wa- I'm not saying my top two of <laughs> like series, but my mo- top two watched. But then I have to factor in, why is that? Do I really like Scream 3 and 4 the most? Oh, like, please I feel no. Weird that. <laughs> well, no, like, I can't rationalize that. But here's the thing. Some of my favorite movies I don't watch very often because, mm-hmm. like, you don't want to watch. Like, sometimes really good things you just don't want to watch a lot. Like it's just yeah. harder you have to, give to it watch. Your time and you're like, I don't really want to like focus on this. Yes, give it its what it deserves. I do that all the time. Even if it's yeah. a Sandler movie, I'm like, yes, I want to watch The Water Boy. But if I watch The Water Boy, I'm going to watch it and not just be doing something else. But yeah, then there's I think that's what it on. is. It's like, oh, whatever, I'll just leave it on. And yeah, no, I, speed. I, speed was on. I was like, heck yeah, I'll turn speed on. And I'm, I put off good movies because I'm like, I want to have the perfect circumstances to sit and watch this. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like these movies are the well. The, what's funny is last week, I like because Scream Three is on um, Paramount Plus, and I was like, I'm gonna put it on real quick. So I did that, and then like, all I watch now is like YouTube for whatever reason because I'm that guy. And I was like watching random stuff on YouTube, or I was watching like Scream like theory videos as I've been doing for weeks now, um, and randomly YouTube auto played scream three because YouTube has scream three for free with commercials. for oh. some reason. And I was just like, 
eh, I'll leave it on. I literally watched it like two hours before and then Scream 3 <laughs> auto-played on YouTube after I watched it on Paramount Plus. And I was like, eh, I'll leave it on. I watched it twice in one day and I was like, that was fun. Like, not bothered by it. But like, if one comes on or two comes on, I'm like, it's too much for me right now. Like, I just, I just, it's too much for me to like put the, leave it on if I do, because it's like, it's more, they're more serious. Like, I want to think about it. I want to watch it. I is like Scream 3 is a good time. And Scream 4 is kind of a good time too, actually. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll talk about why later. All right. Uh, but yeah, that'll wrap us up here for the trilogy of Scream, but you know, uh, it'll marinate in many moons later. There'll be a fourth one. Uh, but first, uh, Jessica, where can people keep up with you? Hi, I'm over at the Bob and Tom show, but you can follow me on Twitter at JN Alsman and Instagram at Jessica Alsman. All right. And Greg. And I'm on all social media as the McGoonies. All right. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon 4 kuhd written work at Why So Blue. Dot com. Next week, we return to Woodsboro 11 years later as Sydney Prescott comes home for a book signing event. Should go well, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, till then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetersshow.com. show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.